to Wings Nuts, the audio program that catalogs each and every episode of classic 90s sitcom Wings. This is the podcast that posits, maybe she's born with it, maybe it's Maybelline. I'm Jared, and I'm here with Emerson. Emerson, how are you doing? All for one and two for Helen! Yay! The three musketeers. The three musketeers. Jumping ahead, the closing line of this episode is, you ever notice that one of the three musketeers has really nice legs? Yes. <laughs> and so I'm going to send you um, a drawing of the three musketeers, and we can decide which one has the nicest legs. Every iteration of the three musketeers I ever saw, there was four of those dudes, and I'm, I'm like, they got their math wrong. Yeah, I was wondering if it's because it's like the main, the protagonist of the, of the book, and he meets three musketeers. Okay. And those are the three musketeers? Or maybe it's four dudes and one of them doesn't have a musket. Maybe. I, I just sent you the link through email. Yeah, let me see. I want to say the guy on the right, Porthos. He's got some real thick calves. Uh, I got to get a look at these legs. Are they wearing tights too? I can't wait to find out. <laughs> and they have those like boots that like you can like catch all your fallen stuff in. There we go. Oh, look at, yeah, there's four of them. Oh, none of them have muskets that I can see. They're not showing enough gams for me to really judge. I mean, that one guy has, like, boots that go up to his ass. Yeah, I mean, with the guy on the right, though, he's got, like, real nice calves. Maybe that's the... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, the guy with, like, the cat's mustache second over, he looks yeah. like he's working with some good stems there. He's got that Beyonce kind of strut going. And I thought that joke was kind of like a cop-out, because I, I could tell they were really looking at her ass. Especially since she was wearing, like, midi skirt, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, are they looking at her, like, shins? Her ankles? Like... They were totally look, checking out her dump truck. Oh, yeah, yeah. The old Helen dump truck. Yeah, this episode is called All for One and Two for Helen. IMDb's one-sentence synopsis is, uh, Joe suspects the worst when Brian and Helen spend an evening alone together. Yeah. Like always, we start things off checking in with the Boston Globe. Um, and this issue comes from May 24th, 1990, which was the date that episode six premiered. And this is actually the final episode of this se season, the first season. It was a mid-season replacement. Uh, nowadays, if you see a six-episode season of a show, that's just normal in the days of streaming. But back then, if you remember, shows usually had about 22 episodes a season. And this show eventually does. Yes. This is yeah. like this is like its like first chance to kind of, let's see if it works, let's see if it replaces whatever Joe Schmo's uh, pickle party that like mm -hmm. failed in the fall of 89 and like not, nobody, you know, well actually because pickle Pete, remember how pickle Pete had that big scandal? Yeah. And yes. like they had to like cancel that show pretty quick. Yeah. I was, I was so pissed though when they canceled oh. Joe Schmo's pickle party. Oh, so mad. <laughs> My birthday party that year was Joe Schmo themed and, I mean, if you would have waited, you probably could have just got Joe Schmo himself since, like, mm -hmm. I mean, like, in the next two years, he was just basically doing whatever he could to afford his heroin habit. Uh, when we fall, we fall hard. Lasai. So I got um the, the our Aquarius <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> oh, you checked out the horoscopes? Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, yeah, sorry. Our horoscope. Yes, yeah, we're both Aquarius. You know when to do the right thing at the right time. 
You need a partner who is sincere, creative, and self-disciplined. You enrich others with your positive attitude. And I feel like that uh, fits with this podcast itself. This podcast is brought to you by Ursa Minor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> did you ever watch the um, Spanish language uh, guy who did horoscopes? I think his name was Walter. I don't think so, no. Oh, he, he was over the top. He was, he was great. He passed a few years ago. Paz, mucha paz, pero sobre todo mucho, 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 mucho amor. You're coming at us out of the gate with a horoscope from mm-hmm. 1990. Um, yeah, I, uh, we're getting more, a lot more of the same as we're reading. You know, news, I feel, went a little slower back then than it does now. Like, time just moves so fast now. So any issue we pick up is going to get a little bit about, you know, uh, the Soviet Union, Lithuania, the economy, and all that. But um, uh, page one... Uh, story I was struck. The title was Sweeping Clean Air Bill Approved in the U.S. House. And I read this, but I didn't really get the impression. I think accurately, this was like an update to uh, the original Clean Air Bill, which I think was written in the 60s and updated several times. And this iteration of it in 1990, they were updating it and giving some like limitations on different like aerosols mostly like limiting we started cutting every every can used to be aerosol and now that's really not the case anymore you get like a lot more pump bottles than than aerosols yeah this is the era of the ozone yes everyone uh kids today wouldn't know you know we talk climate change but back back then it was everyone freaking out about the hole in the ozone layer which we don't really talk about it anymore. Um, I think I mean I think that that's like a, a climate change whatever that we actually fixed. You know, it's I like mean a I don't win, know, right? Yeah, it's a win. I don't know if it's fixed, fixed, but like I think we improved it a lot. Yeah, I, I do remember reading that it kind of uh, was diminishing that whole, and it mostly was coming from I think like car air conditioners and aerosols and yeah. Hey, oh my but, god, um, hairspray. I don't know. It was good to check in on the state of the Clean Air Act. And I know even in 2020, just recently, uh, Biden added amendments to it to in- invest uh, $27 billion to green banks and decarbonization startups. But I think that's referring to like carbon capture schemes, which from the little I've read on it, uh, carbon capture, I think, is a, a total scam. Like, we already have carbon capture machines, and they're called trees. And <laughs> you have these companies getting millions and billions of dollars of capital pumped into them to to try to create some magic box that can capture carbon. And we'd really just be better off planting trees. Oh yeah, you know what I love is we have like acclaimed movie actor Kevin Costner. With his free time is creating like like machines that collect oil that like help the environment. Like is we knew really? people like yeah. When we had that huge oil spill a few years ago, like in the Gulf of Mexico, he um, un- unfurled like some device that would like collect oil in the, in the ocean and like that's what he's into. I oh, mean, good, he, good he, for he him. made he made Waterworld. <laughs> I know he and that movie was the butt of a lot of jokes back then. But hey, he he kind of was ahead of the curve on climate change and oh i love i love waterworld and i really love 
the Universal Studios live show. Oh, yes. Yeah, that is amazing. Have you seen The Postman? No, I actually haven't seen The Postman. Is that That's good? his other uh, post-apocalyptic film, and it is just amazing. Really? Okay, i got to check that out. Yeah, it features Tom Petty playing himself in the movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did just watch um, Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves. I mean, I rewatched mm-hmm. it because I probably saw it when I was younger. I like when my coworker asked me what I watched this weekend. I was like, I don't remember because that movie is fucking boring. <laughs> I know. And the weird thing is, is I loved that movie so much when I was a kid. We had the uh, VHS. Yeah. Would watch it over and over and over. And a couple years ago, I watched it, and I'm like, this is bad. It's not. A good Robin Hood story. It's not a good movie. Yeah. There's a scene in it when, um, when like, the catapult over the wall, Christian Slater's character, this is, like, like I mean, I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but he says something like, fuck me, they made it. <laughs> like, why would you curse in, in, like, this, like, super vanilla Robin Hood movie? Yes. Just, did you have anything else to say about that um, headline? Yep. Um, the next thing I had from the paper, the shoe, there's a comic strip called shoe and, um, it's like a commentary on the current state of recycling in this country. Little kid, baby bird walks up to his papa bird. The country wants us to start separating our garbage. Papa bird. He's got like a real messy, uh, study. He's like sitting in, in a recliner separating it from what? Wow. You know, that, that generation just cannot be bothered to recycle. They're not interested. No. I mean, if I was reading that paper back in ni- 1990, I read that comic, I would have torn a page in the papers when I went to slap my knee in, in laughter. I probably would have just, like, scooped more cereal into my mouth because I would read, yeah. like, the, the paper every morning, the comics. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't remember this one at all, but there's a, a comic strip called Robot Man. By Jim Medic. I mean, Robot Man's a cool name for a comic strip. Yeah. Um, this one is two cats uh, in, like, some dude. See, this guy is sitting indoors in a recliner as well, wearing sunglasses. The one cat says, Earthling, relinquish your tuna sandwich. Please do not resist. Do not. Other cat goes, Captain, I feel strange. The window, some sort of beam, I... And then the first cast says, landing party to ship. Earthlings have unknown weapon, losing consciousness, losing. And you see sunlight coming in from the window. And then the, the final panel is just both cats purring and sleeping. When does the robot come in? There's no robot. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's just called Robot Man. Okay. It's as baffling as the Spider-Man comic strips that they used to yeah, run. Yeah. Those serial comic strips... Yeah, you would have to like stitch so many of them together to make them make sense. It was like so frustrating trying to follow um, a serialized comic. Yeah, because I'd read those in the morning and I'd be like, I thought Spider-Man was cool. Yes, <laughs> but it's just yeah. like this like weird soap opera, like the same thing as like I forget the the more most famous one, but there was like one that was like set at a doctor's office and it was like super soap opera y. It had that same art style where it was like it looked like a nineteen fifties soap ad or something. Yeah, I was gonna say it kinda looked like the instruction panels and how to like perform CPR. Yes, yeah. I clocked the article US nearly doubles thrift bailout cost. Estimate is three hundred fifteen billion dollars. And uh this is just continuing the the aftermath of the savings and loan scandal. 
we we go through these economic cycles of boom and bust, and it seems every eight to ten years we have some big banks collapse, and we bail them out and say, "Whoops, we fixed it. That'll never happen again." And then it happens again. Like like yesterday, one of the biggest um, uh, cryptocurrency exchanges collapsed, I believe. So it's kind of related. On page sixty nine. There was an article. <laughs> hey, 69. That's right. I read it uh, upside down with my tongue, tongue wagon. Um, and uh, it says the headline was Neil Bush denies wrong. And it's actually a son of Bush himself. I didn't I didn't know this until I read this issue. Uh, of like Herbert Walker? Neil Bush, uh, brother of George June, George W. G-dubs. Uh, I guess he was uh, the head of one of these collapse savings and loan scandals and directly benefited from, like, the bailouts and stuff. But he denied all wrongdoing. Of course. So what what else you got? We have uh, Strawberries, which is, like, a local Boston uh, music store. And they got themselves a fucking cassette blowout. So I wanted to see which uh, cassettes you would you would buy. Because okay. I'm going... I, I, you know what? Like, I can actually tell you, like, Four or five that I did own. New Kids on the Block. Uh-huh. This is only five dollars, uh, you know, back in May ninety May nineteen ninety. Yes, yeah. Uh, Paula Abdul, Shut Up and Dance. Yeah. Belbiv DeVoe Bel- Belbiv DeVoe, Poison. Oh yeah. We, that song had the same musical accompaniment as the song uh Playground by ABC. Right, right. And they were both like the same producers. Boys to men, ABC, BBD. The East Coast Family never missed a beat. Oh, the Ninja Turtle soundtrack! I totally oh, own yeah. the Ninja Turtle soundtrack. But the second Ninja Turtle soundtrack was better with uh, Vanilla Ice on it. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right actually about that. They're both they're both great when I was younger, but I think mm-hmm. the second one was a little bit more banging. I know I owned the Paul Abdul and the New Kids, but I think if I was walking into Strawberry Records in 1990, I would probably buy the New Kids album. I, I think I got first got into New Kids on the Block because my best friend in elementary school, his older sister, I had a big crush on her, and she liked New Kids on the Block. And so I was like, yeah, I like New Kids on the Block, too. Yes, and, I, yeah. and I bought all their cassettes, and I like, like knew all their songs. I went to see them in concert. I went to like my buddy's birthday, and um, I saw her there, and I was like, Katie, Katie Hughes, if I want to like just be completely... I mean, whatever, this is like 35 <laughs> years ago. I don't think... Anybody remembers, but yeah, what was, I was her like, address? Emerson? <laughs> it was on Houston in in uh, <laughs> Van Nuys. I was like, like I was like, Katie, did you have you heard the new New Kids on the Block album? And she was like, I don't like them anymore. I like this now. And she hands me like a Guns N' Roses cassette tape called like <laughs> G and R Lies. And I remember like on the cover, there's like a picture of like it's like all tabloid themed, and one of the the headlines on the tabloid thing is like she broke my heart so i ripped hers out <laughs> and i remember <laughs> being like oh, this is so shocking <laughs> <laughs> and yeah katie was miles ahead of you running uh, laps around you music wise i mean she was like maybe like three or four years older than us maybe two but like but mm-hmm. also she was just way cooler than me from the start that's what i was like way into and i remember yeah when my brother and i like decided that they were not cool anymore we like we went against them hard <laughs> Like my uncle drove drove and like one of us held the cassette tape inside the truck and the other one held the tape 
from inside oh. the cassette tape. Yeah. And like he drove like two blocks like while the tape just like, you know. Dude. Yes. Yeah. I used to do that too. I called it tape fishing. Yeah. That was so fun. Just it was so gratifying to see the um the cassette like bounce on the road and it, and then at some point it would snap. But man, like what what little betrayers like yeah like that's like that was like the 90s and the 80s for me is like oh i'm so into this oh that's like not cool anymore <laughs> yes yeah and i think it has more to do with us as we get older and like but now i can admit like new kids on the block had some tunes they were they they were well produced pop ditties yeah, um, i mean like i wouldn't be surprised the people at at uh that airfield the tom never's airfield i bet they would bump in some new kids on the block over that uh loudspeaker they're they're like local boston man the last headline that was kind of interesting me to me was standardized tests overused and too narrow. I just want to say to the the peeps in 1990, just you wait till you see No Child Left Behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, page 19 has a headline: Soviet stresses conventional arms treaty. There's obviously a lot of Soviet news. We're coming up to the fall of the the Soviet Union. And it's just interesting to me because back then it was all about like demilitarizing, signing peace treaties, and, you know, both countries kind of passing all of branches to one another. You know, now it's it's kind of flipped on its head. And over the last five years or so, we've been ripping up all those treaties and and ramping up the hostilities. So just kind of a, a bummer that you know, if we w- did make progress in some ways in the 90s, it's like t- like today, for instance, we're probably at a much greater risk of a nuclear accident or, you know, some sort of nuclear confrontation than we were at the height of the Cold War. But wait, we wait, have the hold, same level of fear. Hold on a second. You're trying to you're trying to like say that there were like indicators leading up to like the fall of the nu- of the Soviet Union. I'm pretty sure you're wrong. I think that it all was spawned from Ronald Reagan saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Did, That's it. Did Reagan say that? Because I thought it was Hasselhoff. Yes, it was R- Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Famously known for his Reaganomics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I heard of him. <laughs> he was in that movie with the monkey, right? Anything else from uh, the May 24th issue of the Boston Globe? I, was, I touched on like a lot of pretty dumb stuff kind of in the entertainment field, so I feel pretty good about that. That's what we count on you for. Yes, reading, absolutely. Reading the funny pages. The behind-the-scenes lineup for this episode was very familiar. It was written by Dave Hackle, one of the producers, and directed by Noam Pitlick. Cool. Uh, I clocked a couple of the, the guest stars. Should we kind of... Who do you have? I got uh, Steve Neville. Neville, I, I wrote, he's a bad actor. He had a really awkward line reads... Later is, on, it, and, is he the one that announces that like the Boston whatever got flooded? Yeah. Hey, Joe, did you hear they called off the Celtics game? Random guy offering random information. You know what though? I feel like Tim Daly's got some bad acting. You know what? I actually wrote down on my notes that uh, Stephen Weber is the MVP of this episode. Him, I, yeah, I agree. Him and Roy too. Yeah, I, I think that Stephen Weber especially is like just acting circles around everybody else. Pulling more physical comedy than anybody else in this episode. I clocked that he can express several emotional beats in, in like within a few seconds. And I totally agree with you. Uh, one thing that's impressed me as we've started this is I really think I felt like feel like in the past I discounted Stephen Weber's contributions to Wings and to 
cinema and television history, but he really is the character's grown on me, but also I, it's, it's impossible to not notice how, how good Steven Weber is. Yeah. And let's just like, uh, kind of put like a mark on that. We'll send that to Steven Weber's lawyers and hopefully they'll drop that cease and desist. Please Weber. Let us continue (laughs) with our passion projects. Yeah. So Steve Neville, uh, his credits include, Hope and Gloria, Coach, Mama's Family, Quantum Leap, Cheers, bit parts on those shows. I like truly did not recognize him from anything else. He, but he, he has got that very handsome bland. You know, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm uh, not handsome, but interesting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we all have a sliding scale, uh, Mister Actor Guy. And do you recall the woman that uh, Brian crudely hits on named Gloria near, near the top of this episode? Just that she's got the big fucking 80s. Sorry to keep cussing, but she's got that big... I want to do that less. I don't mind that cussing. Out. Well, I want to do it less personally, but... We're like Christian Slater in Robin Hood. Yeah, fuck me. They made it. <laughs> oh, yeah. The passenger, that's her, is rocking that big hair 80s look. Well, she her name is uh, Zeta Whitlow. Oh, that's a great name. Yeah, and it looks like Wings is, at least according to IMDb, it's her last credit. But prior to that, she had a run on Days of Our Lives and then small parts on Cheers. The Fall Guy, that was a show little Jared loved. I love Fall Guy. I watched a few, a, a little bit. That's the one where it, he like lives in an RV on, in the Malibu coast, right? Yeah, I I think so. My memory is so foggy of it. I just remember he's like a stunt man that kind of becomes mm-hmm. a de- detective. Yes. Yeah. So that's her uh, CV. Yeah, and so her character as the passenger that Brian hits on is the introduction of like a, a through line. Like I, w- I would say that there is like a C plot in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's the um, the idea of bonus travel miles. Yes. So Brian's trying to offer her bonus travel miles. And she's like, get lost, creep. And she storms off back to her soap opera. He told, he said, you know, the bonus travel miles. Hey, you can fly first class. You can sit on my lap. Gross. Pretty gross. Did you also get the, when they have, so I'm, I'm going to jump ahead and see if the, your third guest star is the woman running the, um, the meeting later. Yes. Yeah. Because she has, I think, maybe the funniest, one of my favorite lines of the whole episode. Is it the designated driver? Yeah, her delivery is really funny. Like, uh, Joe tells like a long-winded story that's clearly very personal and about like yeah his like worry that Brian and Helen hooked up and he's gonna be be stranded outside of their friendship, mm-hmm. and uh, she's like, oh, thank you, Joe. And before we leave tonight, let's make sure Joe has a designated driver. <laughs> yeah, that was um, Peg Shirley and Peg Shirley. Okay. She had a long career, but mostly small parts. Bewitched, the FBI, Maud, Love American Style, Matlock. And she also had a run on Day of Our Lives, but after several years after Zeta Whitlow's run on there. Mm. And she's still at it. She was recently on NCIS. Oh, good for her. And those were our guest players for this final episode of season one cool so i wrote down plot joe thinks helen and brian spent the night together gets jealous of losing friendship of more plot Faye likes some owls she's fighting to save them 
Roy wants to build a new hangar, like where the where the owls live. Joe gets dragged into this argument, which enables the other plot. You know, like they have the meeting and everything that happens, where Joe gets some funny lines, and it's revealed that Lowell ran over the owls. Not cool, Lowell. And then plot. Is there a C plot? Maybe not. Which might be just that through line of um mm-hmm. of the bonus travel miles. Yeah, Brian's scheme to get some pussy. Or also those Celtics tickets. Who who did he get those from? He owes bonus travel miles to what's her name? Babs? Maybe Babs, yeah. Because like, the first plot line is that Brian shows up. He's like, or I guess like Faye's plot line is introduced first. Because she's, she's holding, and I actually wrote down that I don't like this scene very much. Like that Faye's walking around with, with like a little pith helmet, looking like an explorer, holding that mirror on a stick and she's like like her and Roy are like at it I like I mean I like this element of it I like that she wants to save these owls Roy is like I'm gonna build my hangar there because apparently it's really urgent he, that he builds a new hangar and um, she's like no like we gotta save the owls and then Joe gets dragged into like this argument and Joe agrees to help Faye because I mean jokingly or not mm-hmm. it'll it'll put him at odds against Roy. Yeah, he says, like... Faye, Roy's right. If I attend that meeting, I could seriously jeopardize my relationship with him. What time should I be there? Yeah. The thing I don't like is, like, just the way that that it plays out, where Joe's like, what is... He, like, asks her what the mirror device is, and she goes, mm-hmm. oh, it's the thing I used to peek around corners and look at birds with. I call it the thing I used to peek around corners and look at birds with. Yes. Cue the laugh track. And, like, I think a laugh track at a bad line like that is just, like, poison to my sitcom soul. And, and it, I think it's a funny line, but I think it could have been, like, they could have given someone else. Like, if Joe was like, like uh, oh, you look at birds with that? Like, what do you call it? And then she set, repeats and it. And then she said know. it, yeah. That just illustrates we're getting dingbat Faye this episode. Mm-hmm. The what sold that scene for me is Roy's energy because um, I think it's what's I'm forgetting the actor's name I'm terrible David Schwarm I think it is Shass or Shram 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 David Shram yeah, yeah he really sold the he's had a couple opportunities now to be angry and he really sold it and what's endearing to me is of the Roy Court character the more I see it is you know in his introduction I thought he was just going to be the the uptight asshole character, but he's really not. He is cordial and friendly with people. He's engaged in conversations. He's, and in this case, when he's upset, he, he really sells that, that anger and that fight between them. He was carrying the weight of the scene for me. Oh, I wrote something about this. I wrote Roy wants a straight up fighter because he's like, you want to go out to the parking lot? Like he's, he's like ready to scrap. Yes. But But I also, I wrote, Roy is straight up rocking the 1970s polyester swinger look. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's what they were going for, what they were modeling him after, like a cornball orgy host, a little bit outdated but kind of stylish if it was 1973, like no belt, blazer, tie, and his hair is like slicked down just so tight to his head. I feel like that's like something, because you know, like 1990 is just like 15 to 20 years after the 70s. Yes. And so I think that, like, the writers and also the um, the viewers of the show would have had, like, a direct connection to, like, that They knew sort of that look. guy. Yeah, they knew that guy. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
the guy that would have been like just raking him up in the seventies, but now he's like, you know, it's fifteen years later, but he hasn't really realized that the world has like evolved into weird blazer outfits for women with their hair all puffed up and dudes wearing ding 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 knit ties or like quilt quilted ties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it like a, is it a quilt? <laughs> Brian's tie report. Yeah, I I wrote it's a patchwork of bright colors. Quilt yeah. is a good word for it. Yeah. 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 Not not the best tie work in this episode because later on, you know, the tie's gone completely, and he's wearing a a Celtic shirt tucked in to his pants. Mm-hmm. But then after that, did you notice what he's wearing after that? No. Uh, it's like I think what it is is like a cartoon rendering of the Red Baron holding on to like the landing gear of like a propeller plane. What was this a tie or a shirt? It's a it's a sweater. Oh oh yeah, he had a a sweater over the shirt. I didn't recall the Red Baron on it. I thought it was a monkey at first, but then like like upon looking at it further, it looks like I think it's either the Red Baron or it's like um. I think it's the Red Baron, because the Red Baron's got kind of like a Dick Dastardly sort of like look about mm-hmm. him. The the last word I have to say about that confrontation between Helen and Roy, Faye threw out the only fat joke th- that I clocked this episode. Which oh, called yeah. Him, she called Roy lumpy. And I, and I think the writers kind of worm their way out of, you know, body shaming in this just from the fact that it comes from an, an older woman. Mm-hmm. They felt that the audience would kind of give them a pass. I mean, I feel like we have to celebrate because I didn't catch any formerly fat jokes about Helen this episode. Did yeah. you? Nope, none at all. So this is our first <laughs> wings. <laughs> yeah, no fat, no formerly fat jokes about Helen. Yeah, like I love that they moved on from that. Yeah. Really, really great. Oh, wait, did you watch the, uh, past the end credits, though? No, was there, like... You know how, like, the last line um, is, like, Joe and Brian looking at her walking away, and they go, you ever notice how one of the three musketeers has really nice legs? Yes. Then it goes to, like, the end credits where it's, like, the airplane flying, and then afterwards it cuts back to them still looking in that direction, and then um, Joe goes, yeah, but she used to be real fat. Oh, <laughs> Damn it, they almost made it this episode. <laughs> That's not true. I'm making it up. And then, like, one of the Avengers walks in and... You guys want to get some shawarma? But not so much shawarma that we end up getting really fat like Helen used to be? <laughs> <laughs> the main plotline of this episode, I would say, is that Brian shows up and he's got tickets to the Celtics-Knicks. Now, I did some research into this. The Celtics-Knicks in 1990... Um, played in the first round of the championship series, uh, and that would have been late April, early May, like three or four weeks before the episode aired. I don't know if the writers were hoping that the episode would air faster than it did, or if they just didn't care that at the time that it aired, this, this would have been behind them. Because if the Celtics had won that series, um, they would have been playing a completely different team in like the Eastern Conference Championships. Because okay. when this when this did air, it was, um, I think it was like the, the Trailblazers, yeah, the Pistons Bulls, and then the Trailblazers Suns were both like playing each division, each conference 
Do you follow basketball at all? No. I don't really know it that much either, but I do know that like the um the Pistons went on to beat the Trailblazers four games to one. Okay. That I Isaiah Thompson, I think, or, or Isaiah Thomas. Oh my God, I'm like not a basketball guy. You're asking guy. the wrong guy. But he went on to become the MVP, and um, I, I was a big ba- baseball fan. I remember like being annoyed that like b-ball refers specifically to basketball, but mm-hmm. b-ball sounds kind of cool, and I thought baseball was way cooler than basketball. Mm-hmm. Even though I had a basketball like hoop in my driveway, and I would spend hours. Over your like, trash can too. That's right. Yeah, I, it is Isaiah Thomas. Okay, apologies. Was there- did you, in your investigation, find uh, if the Celtics' uh, basketball court was ever flooded? Um, I didn't find that, actually. I, I hmm. intended to look that up, but I forgot. My guess is no. Because it's called the Garden, the something Garden. Okay. Boston Garden? It's called the TD Garden now. But, no but way. back then... Did you say the Tea Garden? No, TD. TD Garden. Yeah, we've got when you're here, your family. Yeah. Is like, that I like think... some corporate sponsor? Wait, this might be a different place. Boston Garden, Hartford Civic Center. Okay. Oh. It's never flooded. That was bullshit. Yeah, okay. Brian shows up. He hits on that woman, and then he announces to Helen and Joe. I actually, like, I really like how the action moves. Like mm-hmm. you know, if you're make, if you're doing a play, you call it the um, the blocking, the blocking. Staging. Yeah, I love the blocking in the show. I think that like they really like play with it a lot, and I, I think it makes makes it fun to watch. So Brian perches himself like on Helen's counter, mm-hmm. he, did, and did you notice that at some point he like drinks from what I thought was a flask? No, you know he he does that whole thing where he's like um. Uh, I have access to Larry Bird's personal, and Joe's like, Pers- Larry Bird's personal seats? And he's like, no, Larry Bird's personal plumber. You know, that, that whole kind of, like, thing that plays yes. out. If you watch, like, while I think either while Joe's delivering his line or something, Brian, like, lifts up what I thought was a flask, and he, he drinks from it. What I realized later, which is even grosser, he's drinking from, like, one of Helen's creamers, like what? if you're like if oh, you're the sitting little creamer tin? Yeah, like if you're sitting if you like order coffee at, at her counter and you're like, I want cream in this, and you're like pouring cream, that fucking Brian Hackett drank from that. That's what? so gross. So he's not just like laying and sitting all over the counter all the time. He's drinking out of the creamer tins? Yes. And he puts it right back down on the counter, like where he had picked it up from. Wow. I had to like rewind and watch, rewatch it a couple of times because like that is not cool. Steven Weber makes it hard to hate Brian, but then he's like telling women to sit on his lap and drinking straight out of the creamer tin as he's sitting on the counter. Steven Weber makes it hard to like hate Brian, but Brian makes it hard to like Steven Weber. <laughs> yes. And then we find out that like he was able to get the tickets from the plumber by way of Babs. Yeah. Apparently, Brian offered bonus travel miles the second time that we hear that term in exchange for the tickets, meaning yeah. that she agreed to go on a date with this plumber or more. I don't know. That's like a weird. I was trying I, to figure out the logic. I took of it that. as I took it as like he's kind of a sex worker. Like he's, yeah, he's going to lay pipe with 
with Babs, and she gave gave him the tickets for that. Is are you are you saying that Babs is the plumber? Because I don't I don't think that Babs is the plumber. No, I think because he kind of he's telling the whole scenario of oh oh I know uh, the personal plumber of Larry Bird. Yeah. yeah. He goes, but then he's like, oh, but at the end of the day, I got the tickets from Babs. Well, what I the way that I took it is that Brian was like Babs. I'll give you some bonus travel miles if you go on a date with Plumber, and then oh. Plumber will give me these tickets. Okay. So I don't know. So that's, he's that's, like a pimp. He's a pimp, I think. Yeah. There's a lot of like kind of you know like beyond the horizon things happening in this in this show in general. Okay, I got it. Yeah. We gotta have another Twitter poll. Okay. So if you think Emerson's right and Brian is a pimp, that's one option and if you agree with me and brian is a sex worker himself that's the other option well brian specifically says that that like he we he owes babs bonus travel miles but bonus travel miles are having sex with brian no no bonus travel miles are basically free flights on sandpiper air oh i thought Bonus travel miles where, like, you can fly first class and sit on my lap. Oh, like, I think you already have to be a passenger. I think that it's basically, like, you get VIP treatment and you get to fly for free, but okay. I'm I'm going to be offering this to you with, like, an expectation. Yes. Okay. Anyway. All right. So everybody's excited about the, the game. And then uh, the following day, Faye tells Joe... Joe's like, I'm going to that game. And she goes, oh, no, you're not. Which is kind of a shitty, which is kind of a not cool way to break that news to him. And uh, Lowell, he's up on a ladder perched above them. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's got you there, Joe. Unless you had your fingers crossed, you're dead meat. Lowell is an agent of chaos. Because he's up on that ladder and he's talking about the environmentalist women who like mm. had, had gotten rear-ended. Lois, the president of the Nantucket Nature Society. Yeah, so Lull says that he visited her at the hospital, which is, like, a very sweet gesture. Mm -hmm. You know, who knows? Like, it's it's interesting to think about what relationships are existing beyond the airport on Nantucket Island. Like, Faye and Lowell are both apparently friends with the president of the Nantucket Nature Society. But at the same time, Lowell's like, yeah, but she's still kind of skittish. She gets scared when you go behind her and go, ah! Or makes a honking noise. Well, she's still a little skittish if you come up behind her and go beep. Yeah, she got she got hit by a, a truck when she braked her car for a field mice. Anyway, Faye guilts Joe into going, which mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, what I guess it's fine. One thing I clocked is that she said promised Joe that uh, this man is bringing his two twins who just had their tonsils out. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna see some twins in the when we see that scene. And I looked at the attendees of the airport meeting, and there was no twins there. You know what? I didn't even think about that, but I did that. I did think that Faye delivered, or the actress. Wow, I should know her name. She delivered that line really well, where she's like, "So and so's twins just had their tonsils taken out, and he's bringing them tonight." Oh, the twins. I mean, I think like she kind of mm-hmm. like. Like, she's like, I'm pretty sure he's bringing the twins, not the tonsils. And then from there, we pretty much, we see um, the, we'll call it a date between Brian and Helen. And then, and 
the parallel is we see Joe and Faye and Roy and Lowell at the airport committee meeting. And I remember like thinking, why is Lowell still here after hours? Because like, uh, yeah, Brian and Helen took, or just, yeah, Brian and Helen took off around six o'clock. They're like long mm-hmm. gone at the Celtics game. Um, bad actor McGee tells Brian, no, sorry, tells Joe that the game got delayed because it was flooded. Lowell has to be there because he's got to like break the news that he ran over the owls. Oh shit. Before we get to that, you know what I forgot is um, the scene where Brian goes in to kind of ask for Joe's blessing for, Oh yeah. Cause Brian assumes he's going to get some going, going on this date with just him and Helen, which is, you know, gross, but also I thought that, that he was really funny in this scene. He comes in kind of beating around the bush, right? And mm-hmm. not getting to the point. He's nervous about asking Joe. And the the bit he did, uh, he did a ping pong impression. Yeah. Which I thought was amazing. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. I mean, the, he, the sound effects he was doing, especially when the ball kind of comes to a stop. He's rivaling, um, what's his name from Police Academy? Uh, Michael Winslow. Yeah, he's rivaling My- Michael Winslow. <laughs> now, he doesn't quite get Joe's blessing to make a move on Helen, but, you know, fair. He, I think he's kind of stated his intention to make a move on Helen, and the scene just kind of showed, it's reinforced that there's this kind of three-way infatuation between the brothers and Helen. And did you notice that Brian took uh, Joe's Celtics hat? And I noticed that it was a starter hat. Oh, I did notice. I noticed he took the hat, but I didn't notice that it was a starter hat. But I, I loved starter when I was back in the 90s. I wanted to ask if you had an affinity for starter. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I don't know if I ever owned a starter jacket, but I wanted like, I know I wanted one. Like there's like big puffy, like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was in like seventh and eighth grade. It was when starter was really hot for, for the crowd I ran with. And I super, I didn't follow any sports at all, but I really wanted a starter jacket. So I got, I ended up getting for Christmas, the one I wanted, which was like not the thin ones, but like the puffy ass ones. And it was a golden state warriors, which was the one I wanted. And, you know, they were uh, Oakland Warriors. They were a local team, and mm-hmm. I liked the colors of their logo. And I just remember after getting that jacket, I kind of forced myself to start watching basketball games because I was afraid I'd be, like, tested on Warriors trivia or something. Yeah. Or, and, like, I just remember how I it basically getting this jacket I wanted gave me so much homework, and I did not enjoy following uh, the Warriors. <laughs> I even had like a San Jose Sharks t-shirt. There were a lot of expansion teams in the 90s. And so um, like the Sharks had an exciting logo that I liked. I had a Miami Hurricane hat that I thought was really cool. And then I, I, I wonder if I did end up getting a starter jacket. Like at one point I had a Dallas Cowboys t-shirt. There was just like a, a navy blue shirt with like a big silver star in the middle. It sucked being a football fan in, the, in Los Angeles in the 90s because... Both the Rams and the Raiders left, and so we were yes. kind of just like left scrambling for like a t- another team in the league to root for. I loved, by the way, in that that whole scene, like after 
Brian steals the hat from Joe and he's wearing it. He's like, you know, like, I don't want like a repeat of like what's happened in the past between us. And Joe's like, uh, you mean like when you stole Carol from me and like we didn't talk for a year? She's so like, oh, you know, that would be a, good, a pretty good example. <laughs> like his delivery is really, that's why I think Stephen Weber is the MVP of this episode because I think he's got a lot of the funniest kind of just, he seems the most natural Inhab- inhabiting like his character and a lot of the funniest delivery. Yeah, and and you're right about the blocking. Um, he's always doing something, like whether it's you know flicking the blinds up or doing his ping pong impression or taking mm-hmm. a drink out of a, a a creamer container. To your point about the blocking, I wonder. I haven't looked into it, but I wonder if he had a stage background because he really uses all the space really well. Yeah, maybe because that scene when he's like. Um, when he thinks he's like on a date at Allen's is really funny when he's running around trying to like dim the lights and make it more romantic. And he's just mm-hmm. like, like he pulled, he does like the little magician's trick to pull out the blue, uh, tablecloth and stuff. And then she calls out from the other room, something to the effect of, Oh, we had such a great night. I'm glad you didn't try to come on to me and act like a creep. And then he rushes to put everything back in order. Before we get into that scene, did you have anything else from the airport committee meeting? I mean, I, I honestly thought that, like, I mean, it's probably, like, a more challenging role also for Tim Daly to play just, like, really stiff character that's always, like, having to, like, react emotionally to things. So, like, you know, when he finds out that, like, the game got canceled but they're not back, I thought that he played that really well. I thought that was all really fun. Yes. Like, what, and then he, like, when he's, like, forced to get up there and speak before the... the um the meeting he he basically kind of like molds it all around what, what he's like currently going with and i thought that was i thought he did a great job i thought that was yes. a really funny scene yeah he, he goes on a long-winded story that is ostensibly about the owls but it's clearly about the 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 angst he's feeling over brian and helen being out on a date then lowell comes in right and I, you notice i like when joe's talking you notice him kind of come in from the background slowly and pour himself a cup of decaf and then as the committee is hearing this case of do we let Roy build the hangar and destroy the owl's habitat, Lowell just kind of comes up and tells everyone that he ran over three owls in his truck. I thought it was kind of a bummer. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was rooting for those owls. Like, yes. I want, yeah. I want, I feel like if that show, if the show was written today, they would have saved the owls. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, yeah, I don't know. It, it it worked for me in in the context of it was just pretty funny. And then when you know, Roll Faye is kind of dismayed that Lowell, how could you do that? And he was like, "Oh, they didn't suffer. I ran them over pretty quick." And then Roy is just cackling and like uh, he offers her a chicken wing. <laughs> yes. And then they look at camera and they go, "This chicken wing is brought to you by the TV show Wings on NBC." So I wrote I wrote down does Helen live in a museum? <laughs> yeah, her house was uh, uh I mean it was it's cool seeing it. Like I I always love seeing like where a character lives, but yeah. Yeah, we got a new set, but her house is like big and her interior decorator is like yikes. I got the feeling like her parents just died there and she moved in and didn't change the decoration at all. Yeah, a little bit. It it really truly felt like like they shot it at an existing museum in Nantucket. They'll be like, "This is Helen's house" because it's got like a lot of little like antique pieces, like 
I think you can see like the helm from like a boat in the background and like different things like that. And it's all wooden. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you feel about this plot line where Joe spends the night spying on Helen's house because he's like worried that Helen and Brian slept together? <laughs> a little silly, but it works for me in selling that, you know, Joe obviously has feelings for Helen. Yeah. Was distraught over it. As Helen is kicking Brian out, they notice Joe sleeping in the car out front and they conspire to trick him and have Brian go out the back and walk home. And Joe ends up spending the whole night in his car out front of Helen's house. Worried, yeah, that like Helen and Brian hooked up and he's like, I guess, suppressing his feelings about her. And mm-hmm. I'll take the point that Joe has feelings for Helen and he's jealous. But it's another instance of Joe thinks way too much about his brother's sex life. Because at the end of the day, if you're parked out front till 1, 2 a.m., make the assumption that they're boning down, feel sad, and leave. Yeah, 100%. Or, you know, tag team in. (laughs) Yes. I mean, honestly, but bait going jumping off a of Lowell's theory from episode two or three or whatever it was i'm i wouldn't be surprised if that is is a fantasy in the back of joe's head we don't learn anything new about Lowell this episode do we like besides the fact that he drove his pickup truck over the owls in our Lowell um dossier i just wrote that he is friend he's a friend of louise the of the nantucket preservation society and he drives a truck yeah not the most interesting facts, but facts nonetheless. Yep. I thought that that in scene where Helen confronts Joe. Well, first of all, when Joe comes up and he's like, I know that you didn't come home last night. Brian's like, would you bet your life on it? And he's like, yeah. And then Brian does this like, bang, bang, you're dead. Is that like an impersonation of something? Yes. He's bang, bang, you're dead. I yeah. believe it's from the film Our Man in Marrakesh. Okay. It's like a 60s British kind of fun little action movie. Bang, bang, you're dead. Bang, bang, you're dead. I was, like, I was not sure. But then I thought that scene where Helen confronts Joe and they talk about it in his office was interesting. And then we find out that apparently Joe's office has no ceiling. I think we've, I do think we saw that before, but yeah, they cut to like this wide shot and I'm like, okay, why is the camera work awful all of a sudden? But then, but then lo and behold, we see Faye's uh, thing that I used to look around corners to look at owls with a device over the ceiling, kind of peeking in on them. Yes. And we also get the third mention of the bonus travel miles. They're talking about, like, Brian, you know, Joe's like, like, well, like, what happened? Like, I thought, like, when you guys, like, got home and spent time together. And he's like, wait, he didn't offer you any bonus travel miles, did he? So, you know, rule of thirds in comedy. <laughs> it's a motif. But then I really thought that, that Brian's physicality when they find him with the mirror is really funny. When he's like, oh, yeah. ignore the man behind the curtain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Doing, like, the whole Wizard of Oz thing. And that kind of rounds out the episode. And like you said, as Helen walks, Helen kind of makes them all come to an agreement. There'll be no hanky panky between the mm-hmm. three of them. She doesn't date pilots. And then she, as she walks away, Brian and Joe just like are ogling her. Yep. 
Checking out them gams. Yeah. Woo. Uh, the only other th- uh, thing that piqued my interest this episode was uh, as Helen and Brian are coming in from their date, Brian, uh, Helen mentions that Brian apparently did a flaming sword act when while they were out at the town. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm thinking we almost need a Brian dossier because things that we learn, have learned about him are he's into show tunes and, you know, does a flaming sword act. He might just be as weird as Lowell. Yeah, he might be. Yeah. I also really like um, when she like invites him in and she offers some coffee and she's like, all I have is instant. Is that okay? And he goes, yeah, just, but make it quick. And then he like does like a big old corny laugh. I thought that was yeah. like a great delivery. <laughs> and and just to uh, circle back of how good Steven Weber was in this episode, when they are all the comedy of him trying to set the mood and then unset the mood. But then when they're just sitting on the couch and she asks him to be serious and he's telling the story of his experience with Carol you know, his emotions in that moment go from, like, goofing to earnest to um, kind of a little solemn. But then, when yeah, when she puts her, her hand on him, he yeah. immediately see in his eyes it clicks to horned up mode. Yeah, like, it's he actually plays that so well where you, like, you see him clock it. He's mm-hmm. like, uh-oh. And so then he, like, starts to, like, kind of go deeper into it. Yeah. Yeah, like, that. Yeah. that's not an easy thing to play. And so he, he does it really well. Yeah, it's mostly like in his eyes and body language, and yeah, we we you started the episode saying how you know impressive Stephen Weber was in this episode, and yeah, I, I wrote totally down agree. like a couple of times that Stephen Weber is the MVP. I think mm-hmm. that he's like I, I think I'm gonna try to do that with every episode to think of who I think which actor kind of carries because I think like a uh, Crystal Bernard. I think like in a previous one she like was doing the most work like. The one with, with Carol where... In the two-part episode, yeah. Yeah, where she was just, like, tearing her hair out and, like, puts the pie in Carol's face. I thought she was, like, carrying a lot of that. I also wrote, I forgot to mention this earlier, in that scene where they're talking about the owls, Roy's vest is beautiful. It's like that Argyle vest he's wearing, like, over his shirt. Oh, is it a sweater vest? It's a sweater vest, but it's, oh. yeah, like, like straight-up straight up vest, like, where, yeah, it ends at the sleeves. I love sweater vests. Yeah. Oh, I should probably go check on my cat real quick. So I'll I'll be back. Oh, okay. I'll just wait. Um, Okay. I'll review my notes here. Let's see. Wing, 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 wing. Oh. Oh, the wings line is ringing. Wing, 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 wing. Oh, uh, hello? Do you accept a collect phone call from Roy? Yeah, I guess so. Sure. Hello, is this? Uh, wings nuts. Yeah, hey Roy, how you doing? Uh, you know, as good as you might expect, running a airline with eight or nine active airline airplanes running, you know, day and night over in Nantucket Island. Yeah, that's that's quite impressive. We we were just talking about how um, sounds like you're gonna get the go ahead to build this new hangar. I'm, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, I had a little bone to pick with you guys about that, you know. Uh, I don't I don't like being discussed, you know. Here you guys talking about my my proclivity to rent pornography at the video store back in the 1990s. We're not repeating anything that you didn't proudly proclaim yourself, you know, and we're not here to shame you. 
you know, if you enjoy the more lurid arts, good for you, you know. You know, I've had them all. Every single person at that airport, I had them all. Helen, Faye. What do you mean, had them? Brian, Lowell, Joe. Oh, hold on. What do you mean you had them? Frontwards and backwards, you know? You know what I slick my hair down with, don't you? First of all, that's not professional of you. Anchovy oil. Pure, unadulterated anchovy oil. And you know what that is? That's a natural aphrodisiac. You don't you don't need to prove your sexuality to me. I don't mind that you rented porn videos. Yeah, of course I rented rented them. I would watch them with everybody at that airport. You know, Faye, oh. Helen, Joe. I, I'm not buying this, but I Brian. mean like gross. I don't want to think about you and Helen and Faye. And I, just, I don't think it's appropriate for you to, you know, talk about your colleagues this way. Hey, don't forget about Lowell. You know what? With Lowell, you just let him believe what he wants to believe, and you just have a good time. Lowell is a married man, I'll have you know. Oh, so am I. Yeah, you haven't learned this about me yet, but I'm very married. Married to my air, airline. I was saying how defending you and saying how proud of your performance I was this episode... I didn't even mind that you reveled in the death of three fine owls. And here you are just like maligning your colleagues. I'm just not buying it, Roy. It's all true. And I just wanted to say one more thing. Uh, when I when I introduced Tofu to Helen, you know, I thought it was interesting how uh, she reacted to that. Being as she's the resident restaurateur of our airport. Like, how does she not know what tofu is, you know? Figure something out, Helen. I liked you a lot better when you were lard-ass. That kind of language. But, you know, I, I truly admire your culinary daring and verve. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, I gotta go. I'd say feel free to call any time, but why don't you come up with a good reason the next time you call us? Bye, Roy. Emerson, are you are you back now? Uh, hello, yeah, I am back. Yeah. Shit, you missed it. Uh, Roy just called in. Roy, Roy Biggins. He really? Yeah. Wow, he didn't call. Collected he. I uh, well. Ah oh, man, we we can't really afford that. God, that guy, that yeah, guy from, is so from, cheap. From Nantucket as well, which oh. is even more expensive than a, a Boston call. Oh yeah, big time. Oh well. Oh well. So, but I think we talked out this episode. Um, do you want to rate it? Okay, I'm gonna go three on this one. I thought, like, like first of all, big ups. I'm like not um, mentioning Helen's former obesity, but I also thought that there was just like a lot of great physical comedy. You know, like even though Brian was being a bit a bit of a creeper, I thought that overall, like this, I thought it was like a really funny episode. I concur. This is a, a three Captain Stripe episode for me. I, you know, I even thought about almost going four. Um, fully expect that this may be one of my favorite Wings episodes. I think that the it went, moved at a great clip. The there were some funny jokes. Brian's uh, ping pong impression was the high point for me. But at the end of the day, it became a, th- you know, it's a it's a three for me because of the. Um, you know, I was really proud that there was no 
Helen used to be fat jokes in here. So yeah. So I'll give it to this episode. This is the this yeah. is my favorite episode out of the the six that we've watched. Just like well constructed too. Like they like did a call do a callback to like the mirror on a stick that Faye has mm-hmm. at the beginning. I thought that was a really fun callback. We hit the three beats of um the bonus travel miles. Mm-hmm. I thought that the um the main plot line just kind of like is like a fun storyline and that there's just like a lot of like great delivery, like a lot of great uh jokes delivered throughout this whole episode. So yeah, I'm happy with it. Agreed. So yeah, this this was the final episode of season one and there'll be a bit of a time jump when we start up season two because I believe it premiered later in 1990. So somewhere in September or October. Mm-hmm. And uh, we should say that if you are following along with us, uh, the first episode of season two is not available on streaming. Thanks to Emerson, we have procured it. So we will certainly be watching it. I did find it on like either Vimeo or Daily Motion, one of those websites. So yeah, so sleuthy type listeners can find it on Daily Motion, and we'll be running up to a number of these episodes that aren't available on streaming. So why don't you uh, send us a message, and we might have a super secret way for you to watch these. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Don't tell hubba, me the FBI. So yes, yes. And we're now on Twitter and Instagram, so you could check us out there. Mm-hmm. It, what is that? What is that uh, Twitter uh, name? Okay, so you could find us on Twitter at wings underscore nuts, and you could find us on Instagram at wings underscore nuts underscore program. Yes. Well, this was fun. I feel accomplished. We talked a whole season of Wings. Thank you so much, Emerson. Yeah, this was fun. <laughs>